What's up, guys? I'm Jared Lopes, and you're listening to the Dad Tired Podcast, where I'm helping everyday families learn how to follow Jesus in everyday life. How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. If you're new to the Dad Tired uh, community and ministry, we'd love to have you join us in what we're doing. You can go to dadtired.com and learn more about our ministry. For those of you that listen in each week, thank you and welcome back. This week, I had a chance to sit down with Pastor Saeed Abedini, who is the Iranian-American pastor who was taken into custody in Iran, spent over three and a half years in an Iranian prison for his faith, uh, beaten and tortured and psychologically tortured um, and just removed from his family. It was devastating. Uh, He was taken into prison because he was um, encouraging the church. He was boldly proclaiming the gospel, and the government did not like that. Um, They accused him. His charges were threatening national security, but they never gave any specific as specifics as to how he was actually doing that. So we know that um, it's because that he was boldly proclaiming his faith and it being a Muslim country, they did not like the fact that he was really leading, uh, in many ways, the Christian church movement in Iran. Uh, In 2016, Pastor Saeed was released from prison uh, with the help of President Obama and the Pope and many other major influential leaders. Uh, He was finally released with two other Americans out of the Iranian prison. Now, I wanted to give some context to this interview before we dive in. When I originally reached out to Pastor Saeed, I knew about as much as everyone else knows, at least 99.9% of us know, and that's the story that I just told you, that he went to prison for his faith in Iran. He spent over three and a half years there, was beaten and tortured. There were many, many Christians who were constantly praying for him. In fact, some people say that there was over 100,000 letters being sent uh, to him, Pastor Saeed. Uh, every single month, uh, encouraging him, letting them know that they were praying for him and his family. Uh, And then in 2016, he was released. And after that, a lot of the media went away and we didn't hear much more of his story. Uh, And so when I reached out, I knew that portion of the story and was excited to hear about it. The day before I did this interview, I had learned that there's some other stuff that has happened uh, in Pastor Saeed's life since he's been home. In his words, he would say that he went from one prison to another uh, on it since his return back to the United States. Uh, he is currently going through divorce. His ex-wife has accused him of some pretty serious allegations, which I will note that none of them have... Um, been he hasn't been legally charged with anything he hasn't uh, had any legal ramifications other than i think he had a restraining order placed against him which he violated um, but in short there's been some controversy around pastor Said, and for some people that's really tainted his story understandably um, i don't know the story i spent 14 years in ministry and so that that gave me uh, I've, this is my 14th year in ministry and that that I've learned enough in my young age to know that there's always two sides of every story. I don't know the truth. I don't know all that's happened. I don't know all the details of what's happened, but I know that there's some heavy stuff. And so I've really wrestled with, I've gone back and forth as to whether I should post this interview or not, because I know many people have been tainted by his story based on what's happened since he's been home. I just want to say this. Um, I, like I said, don't know all the details of the story, but I do know this. I do know that what God did in Pastor Saeed's life when he came to know Christ when he was 20 years old and what he did after in the years to come uh, still happened. God still worked in incredible ways through Pastor Saeed. And uh, and it, it, it just doesn't take away from God's glory. We are broken, sinful people. Pastor Saeed addresses that later at the end of this interview. Um, but the reality is God still works, God's still faithful, and God's still moving. And Pastor Saeed has a very uh, incredible, rare glimpse of how God is working in the church in Iran and and throughout the Middle East. And so uh, I decided to post this podcast because I think uh, it's not about Pastor Saeed. It's not about any of us. It's not about any of our churches. Uh, We are always broken and messy, and we will always find fault in our own lives. But God is good, and he continues to shine his glory in his face uh, in very dark places. And I think we get a glimpse of that today. So as I interviewed Pastor Saeed, I was drawn closer to Jesus. I hope that you are too in hearing how God used him in really incredible ways. So uh, with that said, here's my interview with Pastor Saeed. 
Pastor Saeed, I just gave you a short introduction, but in your own words, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Okay, thank you for having me here. And uh, I born in Iran and I raised up as a Muslim. And when I turned 20 years old and just uh, I met Jesus face to face, which changed my whole life. You know, million people right now around the world, they just meet Jesus face to face and in dreams or uh, in visions and turn to Christ, especially in countries like Iran that no missionaries legally is allowed to go there. So I was one of them. I was a very strong Muslim, always praying in a mosque and reading Quran. But honestly, I didn't have eternal peace in my heart. And deep, deep something in my heart was looking for like a real live God that they can have a personal relationship. So I always, you know, talk with God and pray with God. But in like answering back as a Muslim, you don't hear God because Muslim believe the last person God spoke to was Prophet Muhammad of Islam. And then so I was praying and saying my pain, my wishes to God, everything. But, uh, Jared, nothing comes back, no answer, no response. So that was always a big question in my mind. Why? The God that I always serve and I always love and I always talk to, but why he never talked to me back? Why he doesn't respond? He seems like a dead God. And uh, until when I was 20 years old, I went to the church. It was Assemblies of God Church in Iran, which is established before revolution happened in Iran. So, And the pastor told me, Jesus is coming back soon. You know, Muslim, they believe Jesus is going to come back soon, too. And that's interesting because according to the Islam theology and Quran, Muslim believe Jesus is going to come back to judge the world. And, you know, the only person Goran says is going to come back to judge the world is Jesus, not even Prophet Muhammad. So uh, so I, I was like, OK, everyone knows that. But during his ceremony, he said, and God wants to talk to you in your personal life about, you know, your job, about your, you know, life, every details of your life. And I was like, that's so sweet. That's something that I'm so thirsty for. I always wanted to hear, you know, that's the God that I think, you know, I I would fall in love with. And that's the God that I think it should be like that. I can find it like a kind of like a two-way relationship, not like a one-way relationship that I have. And I, I could see that I pray to God, but there is no answer is coming back. So there is like a wall between me as a sinner and a God as a holy person. But I didn't know that was a sin and, you know, the punishment of sin is there. So I can't do anything to pay the price. So when that day, you know, the pastor told me Jesus wants, you know, God wants to talk to you through Jesus Christ and wants to forgive all of your sin through his blood that he shed on the cross to, you know, uh, forgive uh, your sin and pay the price of your sin, which is dead. Then something started moving in my heart. I was like, if this message is true, I really want to have it. And uh, so the same night when I was coming back home, I met Jesus face to face. And and he told me, Said, I'm coming back soon. Go to preach my gospel. And three times in a night, he woke me up. And then I said, Amen. And I, you know, could uh, I could just look at his face. You know, it was so shining, like a million times more than sun. And I said, Amen. And then, you know, the day after that, my, my ministry started. Wow. So when you say you saw Jesus face to face, did did you have like an actual visual? You 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 could actually feel like you saw something in real life? Yeah, that night I was so depressed. You know, I felt in love with a girl. It was she was like the most beautiful girl in the country, you know. She was like a model, so famous, and I felt, you know, in love with her. She was my girlfriend for 9 months and then she moved to United States and she told me that's the end of our relationship, but I felt in love, you know, and I couldn't stop my heart beating for mm-hmm. her. And uh, so she left me alone and I got a depression. Every night I was, you know, Jerry, I was crying like four hours each night. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any other hope, you know, like uh, that was like everything I wanted to have in my life. But mm-hmm. that story was finished and I knew that. So I had depression and, you know, I kind of like no hope for my life. And I, 
made decision to kill myself be- and end my life because, you know, I was so in love and she just kind of like rejected me and she left me. I don't know. Maybe some people now are listening to us that they find some love in something or someone that they never can achieve it or have it in their life. And then they think their life is over and there is no hope for life. So they can put themselves in my story, in my situation that time, like 17 years ago. And I was I just slept after I heard that sermon in a church. And then in the midnight, a voice woke me up and called my name like that, Said, I'm coming back soon, go to preach my gospel. I woke up, look around, I was like, no one is in the room, TV is off, everything, radio, there is no radio on, nothing. So I thought, this is a dream, people, they see dreams, so... And then I slept two hours after that again, voice woke me up and called my name, Said, Said, I'm coming back soon, coming back to go to preach my gospel, my gospel. I woke up, I was like, oh God, I got psycho. I hear voices that are not real. So probably, you know, I had depression, depression turned to schizophrenia. Now I'm hearing voices that are not real. So I got psycho. You know, I just just made a decision to go to the psychotic doctor tomorrow. So I slept. And then third time, again, voice woke me up and called my name, Said, I'm coming back soon. But this time I heard like a huge voice, like a bomb shaking the room. I woke up and I saw a huge light in the room. That mm. This time I saw a huge light. It was like a million times more shining than the sun. And then asked me to go to preach the gospel. And as a first time in my life, I can say, I experienced very strong and heavy presence of Lord on me that I never experienced it before. I was praying namaz a lot. So I prayed more than anyone, you know, in my age that time. And, you know, sometimes I felt the presence of Lord, you know, like, because you pray, doesn't matter you're Muslim, you're Jew, or you're Christian, or anything. When you pray, I think there is a general grace of God that God is still going to hear, still going to nourishing and cherishing you. So you can feel the presence of God even in when you pray in namaz or you go to the temple or you because God has a general grace, you know, he's not completely closing his ears to the humankind because of their sin. But what I experienced that night was a special grace from God, like meeting with the real, real grace of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so the presence was so strong, was so heavy, and it's not comparable to the other, you know, you know, feeling that other religion gave me before I turned to Christ. So, and I was so scared because the prison was so strong and I said, Amen. And then when I said, Amen, I could look inside the light and I saw Jesus face to face. He went to the mountain, was in front of my room window, which every prisoner was under that mountain, uh, which I became prisoner for Christ later there for a couple years. And then I fell down like a dead person on my bed. And, you know, I, and I went to sleep. And the day after that, when I woke up, I was completely someone else. Mm-hmm. I, you know, before that, I hate Jews. I hate Christian. I thought that they are liars and are cheaters and and are just always looking for their, you know, benefits in their politics and everything. But after that, I saw that I love them, you know, and there is no reason to hate them anymore in my heart. So, and the day after that, I, I just go, went to street parks, university, and start sharing the gospel with everyone. Yeah, and well, that's where, sorry to interrupt you, that's where I'd, I'd love to hear, what, I read that you had really been part of planting like a hundred churches in Iran. Uh, a lot of those were you, maybe done in secrecy. I'd love for you to speak out to that. And uh, thousands of people, God used you to really bring thousands of people into relationship with him. Um, was, right. tell, tell us about that time after you had that experience and God starts to use you to, yeah. to to be a leader within the church of Iran. After that, the day after that, I went to universities, park, yeah. and sharing the gospel after this glorious, powerful meeting with God that still I no word can explain it, really, you know. But honestly, nothing happened. No one turned to Christ. 
and people start making fun of me, beating me in the street and, you know, kind of like threatening me and nothing happened for two months. So I just every day I came back to my room, knee down on my bed and I just like crying. And I was so disappointed. I was like, Lord, this is Iran. This is a Muslim country. They don't listen. They think they have the most complete religion in the world, which is Islam and Shia. So they don't listen. But Holy Spirit, that was the starting of my relationship with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit put in my heart, don't give up, keep continuing. And then he was strengthening me and giving me power. So every day I went to the street and came back home without any yeah. fruit, any good result. But after two months, one, two, three people turned to Christ. And it was very interesting because like one of them, I remember I was praying the whole night with another person in a room. And in the morning, seven in the morning, someone called the door and she said, I saw a dream. Two men of God are praying in this room. And in a dream, Lord told me, go and listen to them. So I just remember book of Acts chapter 15. And I was like, ah, oh, when the apostle were praying and, you know, people came to them to listen without even know where they are. So I shared the gospel with her in two seconds, two minutes, you know, she turned to Christ and and uh, because she was very open, you know, she was completely ready by Holy Spirit to listen. So, you know, when we planted the seed, just she just accepted and, you know, she, she turned to Christ. And then she, you know, years after that, she went to prison for, you know, being Christian in Iran. So... So I was watching, you know, I was witnessing mm. so many testimonies like that. When, when I just knee down to the God's presence and, you know, be to ready, be ready to just pay any sacrifice for God's work. Then I saw that, like, when you seek the Lord's kingdom, everything is going to be added to you. That's a golden verse for me. They just came to me, you know, they just came even they find it out where, I'm, you know, everywhere that I, I was praying, it was like a sacred place because, you know, 17 years ago, situation in Iran was so bad. You know, if they find it out, I turned from Islam to Christianity, they would kill me. And they just saw every every places that I went was like a secret place. But people, they find it out, <laughs> you know, they knocked the door and they came in. So I couldn't hide myself sometimes. And then, you know, I saw like a five people turn to like 50, 500, 5,000. So I was every week I was traveling to the new cities and every cities that I went, Jared, God brings like two, four people through our way and we just evangelize to them. And then like it's six months later after that, they became like a church leaders and pastors in that cities wow. and hundreds of them, hundred people turned to Christ with them. So every cities that I went, God showed me like a key leaders, key people in that city, not just going to talk with everyone to find and choose someone that was talented and just like train them or make them pastors. Wow. Everyone that we went and talked to them, and Holy Spiritual, they became like, a, one of them has like 2,000 members in his church after just a, a year. So, and so many, so many beautiful testimonies, you know. I remember that one day, the girl that mm. I saw, I talked about, wow. she came at the door and said, I saw a dream that I need to hear. She came and she said, like, it was like a year after that. She said, I was on internet, someone came to me. And he said he met Jesus and Jesus told him, I have a pastor for you and his name is Said. You need to go to find him and be his disciples. And so when he, I heard that, I thought this is a trick from Iran intelligence police. They want to find us. So we passed him through so many securities, you know, testing. And then finally we found out he was honest. He really saw Jesus. And Jesus saw there is a pastor in Tehran, which was my city. He was in north of Tehran, Rash. And his name is Said. You need to go to his church. And he was Christian, mm. but he didn't have a pastor. Yeah. He was praying for a pastor. So we met each other. And I was one of the one of my most, you know, uh, scary time in my life. It was the time that I met him because it seems so tricky to me, honestly. <laughs> you know, I thought that's a trick. Intelligent police is made up to arrest me. So I went there, I prayed, but something deep in my heart said, just keep going, you know. 
So I, w- I went, you know, I just said to my family, goodbye. If you didn't see me, I was tricked. But I think I need to do that. So I went to see him. He came. He showed up at the, uh, you know, at the meeting appointment. We met at the, like a hotel in north of Tehran and in north of Iran, Rash. And then I, I find it actually he's so honest. And then I find out he's really Christian. So we trusted him. And he, you know. Like a year after that, he has the largest wow. underground churches that I was living in Iran, 2,000 members. So, yeah, that, the way that God bring and added people to the, my ministry was amazing. So with so many miracles like that, you know, we started 100 underground churches in 30 cities all around the country. In so many cities that they never had any churches before. And the key, you know, the key was just this golden verse of Bible for me. Seek the kingdom of God and everything is going to be added to you. So if you fall in love with someone, you cannot have it in your life. If you have some yeah. dream that you're never going to achieve, you know, especially we live in America, that the culture tell us and force us to be successful. And if you are not successful, you think you are not spiritual. That's wrong. I think Jesus wasn't really successful on the cross. Mm-hmm. He lost everything. He lost his reputation. He lost his freedom. He lost his home. He lost his friends. He lost his money. He lost his young age. Yeah. He didn't have yeah. anything. You know, he looked like a real loser. So sometimes we need to ignore the culture. And be ready to sacrifice things. If you want to always be successful, you're never going to be the person going to sacrifice things for God. And when you sacrifice things, you're never going to get back. If you, you know, sometimes if you give your money for a mission, if you give your time for a mission, or if you give your freedom for preaching the gospel, like what I did, you're never going to get back that time anymore. You know, you sometimes, like me, when you go to the mission trip, you get stuck there, and then you come back like me. I lost everything after I come back. My family, you know, I, my ministry, everything. Wow. So sometimes you need to be ready to go to some battle, and when you come back, you may you maybe lost everything. Are you still ready to do that because of the love that you have for God? That's a good question. I think America or American, you know, kind of need to start thinking about it. Because culture of always being successful, it's not from God. Both comes together, success and sacrifice. So, but when we sacrifice, then there is a God It's going to resurrect us like who, what he did to Jesus after three days. And that's going to be more glorious than any plan and, you know, schedule that we had before. And we never could achieve it. So I want to encourage people to just... Uh, Seeking God and putting God first in everything. And then and then you're going to see. Right. And when you put God in first, don't think you, you don't lose things. You need to sacrifice. You need to lose right. your time. Sometimes, you know, you need to lose your family. You, you, you're going to lose your family, your relationship, your, you know, uh, friends, your money and your young age, everything. But I believe spirit of resurrection that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave after three days. It takes three days. Don't think it's going to happen in a night. He's going to add things to you. He's going to add some fruit into your life. He's going to add some, uh, you know, blessing to your life that it's going to glorify God like a tree that is full of fruits. I love that, Pastor Saeed. I love that you're using Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, You're using that in its proper context, and it's not that uh, when we seek God, when we put God first, that all of a sudden we get more rich or more successful as far as America's standards go. But he will increase fruit as in kingdom fruit. Uh, and you were you were seeking first his face and his kingdom, and the fruit that you were seeing was more people coming to know Christ. I think too often people are using that verse to say, well, if I read my Bible every day or if I go to church, then God might give me a raise at work or he might keep me healthy or keep my kids safe or healthy. And they're really mm-hmm. taking that verse out of context. So I love 
how you put that into context for us during that time when you were uh, when you were God was using you to see many people come to know Him, and you're starting to see these uh, surges of people surrender their life to Jesus. Did you have any indication that the government was unhappy with what you were doing? Yeah, you know, I was kind of like a pastor. In Iran, we have two kind of churches during that time, like 17 years ago, legal and illegal churches. So legal churches has been churches that has been established before revolution happened in Iran, like 40 years ago, like Assemblies of God has been established there like 60, 70 years ago with American missionaries. And illegal churches was churches like underground churches, house churches that we were the first group to start in Iran. So like 17 years ago or 20 years ago, Iran government started calling them like illegal and legal. So I was like one of the only, one of like a few pastors that I was involved in legal and illegal churches in both, like Assemblies of God and underground churches in the same time. So, and during that time, uh, and I was just like six months, you know, one year in my faith, when I just turned to Christ, the sons of God accept me as a youth pastor, new believer pastor. And because they saw it like a, you know, anointing of God that was working through my life. And so many people got healed. 200 demon possessed got free when I prayed for them in church meeting. So it was like a huge line that until midnight people came to, just I prayed for them. I couldn't preach the gospel because still I couldn't even read Bible once, you know, or going to Bible school. But I could pray for people and presence of God came and and just people has been transferred. And some people has been free from like, uh, you know, demons and, you know, just get filled with Holy Spirit. So during that time. Intelligent police of Iran was in a church because it was a legal church. Sometimes they even came sit in the church. They were watching us. So they could see me when I was 20 years old praying for people and miracles happening. So the pastor in that church, they told me that intelligent police told them, we know Saeed and he was a very good Muslim. So he became to turn to Christ. So because he's a, he has a pure heart, God is answering his prayer. So this is not because of Christianity. This is because of his pure heart. That was what intelligent police told them. Hmm. But I know that was the only reason was because of the name of Jesus, you know, that doing all this, the, the power of Jesus, that doing all these miracles. So they were watching me like kind of like a one, two years when I was serving the Lord in an illegal church. And then I started the underground churches after that. And the church, you know, sons of God kind of like wants to help. But after so many pressure from the Iran intelligence police, they step back. So they just, I had a time to choose. Should I stay in a legal church or continue the ministry? And I saw more fruit is in underground churches. And, you know, it's really hard to uh, kind of um, Iran intelligence police to find out the members and what they do. So, so Christian, they could have more security. So I just keep kept busy more in illegal churches. And that was the part that they start kind of like hating me. And then everywhere when I went, they follow me, they can take photos, even sometimes they can say hi to show that we are following you everywhere you go. Mm. So and it took years and years. You know. So but uh, God gave me some wisdom and some way that I still could continue my ministry, which I'm going to write it in my testimony book. That's how God was using me and kind of like a hiding me, you know, from their eyes when they were just still, were, you know, focusing on me. So God gave me some wisdom that I use and it really worked. And so... But during the time that the churches has been increasing so fast, they start kind of like hating me more and more mm-hmm. because they saw thousand Muslims turn to Christ and they didn't like it. And uh, then they took me to court, prisons, and, you know, so many problems started that, you know, forced me to leave the country 17 years ago. And I came to United States. Yeah, so talk to me about the, the let's get to the, the part of your story where you, 
um, actually went into prison after visiting back to Iran. So you moved to the United States, and then you you were making trips back and forth, continuing to preach the gospel every time you're going, visiting family. So you get to the airport, and it's my understanding that you get stopped at the airport uh, in Iran. They're not acknowledging your dual citizenship, and they arrest you there. Can you talk us through that story? It seems you know the whole story by <laughs> so many details. I like that. That's true. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood that most of the our neighbors has been government official and, mm. you know, Iran par- parliament members. Like my parents' wall-to-wall neighbor is, she is a, you know, Tehran parliament member and mm. counselor of Mr. President Ahmadinejad of Iran. Wow. So during the time that he was president, if you remember, he was always threatening Israel. So the, the, the place that Jesus met me face to face was in the middle of the subdivision and neighborhood that all of the government officials were living there, wow. you know, and very high government official like working with the super, you know, super leader of Iran, Ayatollah Khamenei, he has a team of 12 people. He was like, a, he was living in the first floor, we were in, living in the second floor. Wow. So they, you know, so I grew up with their kids and they, they know me and my family very well. And my mom, you know, is she she is a, like a relative to the Muslim prophet Muhammad, mm. which for the Muslim it's a, like a big deal. They're like a pope; people worship them, you know, because they're relative to the. Uh, so, because of that, the whole neighborhood kind of like a respect our family a lot, as a very strong Muslim, and good Muslim. So, and then in a the night, I turned to Christ, and they knew that. Yeah. Yeah. They find it out because most of my church leaders meeting was in our house because that was the most secure place in the whole country because it was in the middle of them so no one gonna doubt that we are gathering there you know right right so and that was the best place and they could hear our worship that's mm-hmm. you know uh M- mrs alia which i told she was a member of iran parliament she was wall-to-wall you know neighbor to my parents house they could hear our worship song and they find it out we became Christian. So they told to the neighborhood we should kill them. They turned, you know, to Christianity from Islam. And they are mortad. So that's blasphemy when they call Jesus his Lord. So she was she was the one of the first people that took me to court. And, you know, she was counselor of president. So she has so much influence in the court. And God made a miracle that, you know, that I could escape from the court. And I went to Dubai, and that was a miracle. The day that I had a court, judge didn't show up. So the soldier that they arrested me took me to another court. It was like a family court. And the guy that was a family judge, he said, like, turning to from Islam to Christianity, it's not a criminal thing. He is just like, he's like a young man trying to find God. Let him go. So he let me go. Wow. Wow. And he didn't know who I am, like a leader of like, you know, underground churches. He didn't know because these cases are belong to the intelligent police that they have so many detailed information, not like a family judge that they talk about divorce or things like that. Right. So I knew that this is a miracle from God. So and God is giving me a time to escape. So I prayed and, you know, we leave the country, we left the country, we, we left to Dubai. And the day after that, the court called my parents' house and they said, we made a mistake. He needs to come back to the court tomorrow. And my dad said, he's gone. He's not in country anymore. So I came to the United States. And uh, for five years, I knew if I come back to Iran, I need to go to court. And I'm going to, from the airport, they're going to take me to Evin prison. And probably for 100, you know, like that time I would say like 100% they're going to kill me because they knew 1,000, 1,000 Muslims turned to Christ because of my ministry. So for five years, I just, I was in the United States going to churches, speak and telling my testimony and helping the churches from through Skype and, you know, conferences in Turkey and other countries. Until one day, Holy Spirit told me, you need to get back to Iran. Hmm. And I was like, oh, no, Lord. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. I have two kids. I'm happy here. I'm just, I, I just learned English. <laughs> you yeah, know, I yeah. can, 
you know, for five, for first five years, it was really hard because I didn't know English. I didn't know the culture. There is so much difference between the cold culture in the Western world and warm culture in the Middle East. And I had a hard time to just find myself. And I was just like getting relaxed. And then I was, Lord told me, you need to get back. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So anyway, I learned to just, you know, surrender my whole life to him during last 17 years. So I said, okay, I don't, I don't really want to do that, but that's the order I'll follow. Uh-huh. So in a week, I just bought a ticket and then came back to Iran to start orphanages. A couple times I traveled every time, you know, two times I got arrested, interrogations, things that, and, uh, and you know, the, the last time they just, it was seven in the morning, guards attacked to my parents' house, the same neighborhood that I told you. And the whole neighborhood, the whole neighbors were ready. So they were talking to them before that. So they knew that they're going to come seven in the morning to arrest me. And it was like so many guards, you know, all around the house. And we all were sleeping. And I had to just surgery in hospital. So still I was injured. And when they came, so they just knocked the door. My brother went to open the door and then they just, you know, rushed into the house, start searching and they just chained me to the, you know, prison and put me in a solid confinement. So you, that you, day changed my whole life actually after that. Yeah, you had you had been arrested before it sounds like. Did you did you know that this time was different? Uh yeah, I knew that. Because, uh, you know, I have been arrested, interrogated, or, you know, going to prison about 12 times. So that wasn't the first time. But these times, we knew, like, we find, we, we, we felt something in our spirit, you know, like two months, three months before that, mm-hmm. that this time is going to be harsher. And they, they told to the Assemblies of God pastors that, you know, I need to leave the country and never come back again. And this time is going to be different. So they already warned me to leave the country and never come back. So I left the country and I came back. But I always, you know, I thought that I need to put God's first, as he told me, said, I'm coming back soon, go to preach the gospel. So... I had a chance to choose which one I want to choose, to obey the Iran government or obey my king and lord and savior. So I chose Jesus and but honestly I didn't I didn't I couldn't even imagine it's going to be so long like that and it's going to be so hard like that. You know, I thought it's going to be shorter like 6 months to 1 year because I'm an American citizen. So I thought that Something's going to happen. They're going to let me go, you know, because of the political pressure. And I, 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 wouldn't, I couldn't imagine the torture that they just every day they plan any new torture, which we call it like a white torture. And, you know, I've been beaten. I have like stomach bleeding for weeks and weeks or maybe months. I don't know. But people die for just a couple of days of stomach bleeding. And I, I'm, I'm still surprised how I survived, you know. And yeah. I, my stomach, because of the stomach bleeding, got so like I look like a pregnant woman, you know. My mm-hmm. stomach was so big because it was like I don't know, it was blood there. I don't know, it was like what happened. It was just like, and you know, my mom after a month when she came to see me, when I was in solitary confinement, she couldn't even recognize me. So, yeah, I had like a tree hole down my eyes, long beards. I was so thin, you know. I was going to gym like three hours each day. So I had lots of muscles. In a month, I lost all my muscles. I got so thin and so weak. And uh, so my mom couldn't recognize me. And it was really, it was really, you know, I was kind of like the first day I became Christian. I know which country I'm living it's the number one or second after North Korea, the most persecuted country for Christian. So I was ready for everything from the first day. But honestly, it was more harder than 
what I was expecting or imagining. The things that I saw, so many of my friends, they got killed. The torture that I saw in front of my eyes, it's, it was, you know, unbelievable that you still see things in modern life, you know, and kind of like a, under these governments that they they try to show themselves as a like a modernized Islamic government. They're still doing these things to people. So every Wednesday, you know, every Wednesday they executed tens of people. And so they just grabbed their legs, hands, and, you know, guards. They took them for execution in front of our eyes when I saw them. And some of them, you know, they were yelling. They were so scared because they don't have God. You know, they don't know what's going to happen to them after they die. So... And some of them, they wet themselves, they're crying so bad, like a huge muscle guys. When you saw, they cried like a baby and they didn't want to go, but they took like, a, you know, people like a lamb to execution and slather them. So that was hard to watch every, every, you know, every week. And your friends, how you saw that most of the political prisoner, you know, when they went there after they finished their sentence, I don't know what they did to their family. They got divorced or their family rejected them. They lost everything. So it wasn't just like a time of being in prison. They were doing things to their families, to their jobs, to their reputation. And it's it's so popular there. So, so this is not something like what happened to me. It's not something that it's just like a, uh, something is just like a, just for me, something very popular for the political or religious people, you know, because they know how to torture people psychologically. They know how to bring division. They know how to bring the uh, spirit of fear and doubt and hate and play with people's mind. They're very good at it, you know, and they have been practicing it for 40 years. So they became so professional you know, mm-hmm. and they can kill you even without, you know, torture you, kill you without even touching you. So they know how to do it, you know. And they told me, you know, they have planned for me every day. And so every day they did something to just, you know, abuse me psychologically, torture me. And every day. So my situation was, you know, so much worse than any other political prisoners there because they they targeting me. You know what I mean? Yeah. How long were you in prison? Uh, it was three and a half years in prison, but like a couple months before that, I was kind of like home rested under the watch mm-hmm. uh, until they came and rested me. So kind of like totally about for four years. Yeah. And, and I mean, on our side of things in the States, we were obviously hearing about you all the time. There were many Christians here praying for you and praying for your release and praying for your health and just your, your safety there. Um, how, what, what was it like for you? How was your faith as you're watching these tortures happen, as they're messing with you psychologically, as they're um, beating you and killing people in front of you? I mean, how were how you doing just emotionally, spiritually in the midst of the, those four years? I, I, I need to thank everyone, especially in social media, that they help advocate for me, everyone. And, but there is something that I didn't like about it, the way that they introduced me to the world as a, like a hero, mm. you know, like a hero of faith. That's not me, mm. you know, that's not me. The person that was there is a sinner like other people, just saved by the grace of God. There is nothing good in me. There is nothing special in me. And there is nothing difference between me and you and other Christians. So... But God make decisions sometimes to use some people. And if you ask me why God choose you, I always said God always choose the worst, mm-hmm. you know. You know, so that was the way that he used me. So there, but during the things that I went through, honestly, something happened that shocked me was about faith is a gift. Faith is not something that I can say this is because of me or something from me is going to make it or build it. That's wrong. Faith is a gift from God and you receive it. So when you receive the gift, 
you can't you can't be proud of it because someone else is giving it to you. Right. So all you can do is just be humble and thankful and appreciate it. But this gift that God gave me there actually shocked me there because never stumble, mm. never doubt God. And I was always so confident. You know, I remember the first time that my judge said to my face, said, you made thousand, thousand Muslim Christians. We kill one person because of one Muslim turned to Christ. We killed that guy because of one just Muslim turned to Christ. And you made thousand, thousands. We're going to execute you thousand, thousand. If we want to forgive you, give you some clemency. What we, maybe two, three of them. What we should do about like 2,000 other. Right. So he was like, he was kind of like, sure, I, I can't do anything. For sure, we're going to kill you and you're going to get the execution and, you know, death punishment. And when he was telling me, I smiled at his face and I was laughing. <laughs> so he was like, do you know who I am? Do you know I can do that? He got angry, you know, yeah. because I was so confident and I was just smiling. And he said, I, I know you cannot do that. He said, no, I have the power. See all this paper that I just, with my sign, it's finished. Next week, they're going to be executed. So I said, no, you don't have this power. So he got so angry. He told me, take him back to the solid confinement. I'll show you. And, you know, when they start yelling and soldier, they come and grab you and put ban on your eyes. So they try to scare you. It's a, it's a really scary scenario. Mm -hmm. So... And then sometimes I was like, start thinking that, yeah, maybe he can do that. So I went back to my salary confinement in a first second that I just knee down, start praying. Holy Spirit, put in my heart. No, they can't touch you. You're going to testify for me one day what happened to you and you're going to glorify me. So I was like, so I don't listen to things that I hear or see with my eyes. Yeah, they have power. They kill every hundred people every week. But when Lord told me they cannot touch you, they cannot touch me. Wow. So, yeah, and the same, you know, the same threat that I went through, other other prisoners, they went through, and just in a two, three days, they got psycho. Some of them, they killed themselves because they couldn't handle all this emotional, psychological pressures. And some of them, they got drug addicted or addicted to some psychological pills that they always offer to people to make them addicted. But I never use any even like a headache pills, hmm. you know. So that was that was something that really amazed me. That gift that God gave me was so much powerful and covered all my weakness. I never stumbled. But yeah, it has been time that I really missed my kids, my family, my country, and my life, and I cried so deeply so you know it was it was a so much bitter time but about my faith to god his salvation that he's the lord and savior he's gonna never you know forsake me or leave me alone that faith never stumbled wow after three and a half four years of being in prison uh how did what was it like to hear the news that you're getting to be released how did how did that come about yeah, you know, we were following every news through kind of like a Iranian media. And I had my cell phone like a, in prison, which is illegal. But we could like you could like buy and get drugs in prison. You could buy cell phone. It was so expensive. I spent like between like 50 to 100 thousand dollars to buy cell phones there oh in prison. Gosh. And always we hide it. Sometimes guard came and find it. But it was like a mission impossible thing in prison yeah, that you yeah, can do. Geez. So, yeah. I And, you know, some, some of the guards that they became Christians and some of the guards that they really love me. Mm. So they, they helped me to have a cell phone to have connection with my kids and with my family. Wow. So, and... So I, I was following everything that is happening. But the time that President Obama met... Pope Francis, and we know that Pope Francis has a good relationship with the Iran government, and he helped other prison pastors get free from Iran. So we know that in three months, like kind of like a three months before I got free, we know that I'm going to be free in two, three months mm. when Pope got involved. 
by uh, you know request of President Obama. If you remember the time that Pope came to United States, it was just like three four months before it got released. So I we know we all know that I'm going to be free, and so we start rejoicing. You start thanking God, and uh, but you know Satan has another plan to you know kind of like. Uh, torturing me or bothering me, I don't know, to ban my preaching, banning me from preaching the gospel. So before I got free, kind of like I went through another level of, you know, um, battle that still I'm fighting with today. So still the fight is, still the fight is continued and still the God is the same God. And sometimes, you know, in our life, we think we're going to get to the point that we want to be one day we're going to finish the race and then we're going to have so much rest and freedom but what i learned through my suffering and persecution that i went through i found it out there is no end mm. there is no point that you can just sit down and just relax and rest this place is not existence in on this planet because we don't belong to here mm-hmm. and you know the boss and the leader of this world is someone that who really hates Christian who really hates the message that we preach doesn't matter you are in United States or Iran he's going to do everything with everything he has in his power to stop you and ban you and isolate you and make you tired and disappointed to not to preach the gospel and to not talk about God's kingdom and he has a variety of ways to stop you. Sometimes it attacks you through marriage problems, sometimes with the government, sometimes with the law, sometimes, you know, with friends, sometimes with your body, you know, with sickness. So he'll do everything to stop you. But we need to always remember our soul. Nothing could stop Jesus, even the grave. And that spirit of resurrection that worked through the God's sons and Jesus Christ's life still is going to work in us. And he's going to give us resurrection and success at the end if we are ready to pay the sacrifice. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that, man. I, it, you know, obviously when you were released, uh, the, the news outlets started to do less and less stories about your story um, because uh, you, kind of the end for them was that you had been released from prison in Iran. Um, but I imagine that a, that a traumatic experience like that has just a profound impact on you as a man, on your marriage, on your kids. I mean, can you give us an update on how things are now? Like, uh, where, where are you at today and how, how are things uh, for you now? The, the reality of my life, not the truth, but the reality of my life, after 17 years following Christ and be ready to sa- pay any sacrifice, is after going all through these things, you know, like I've, I heard my last letter has been read with 600 million people all around the world from prison. Wow. So by going through all these things today, I can say after all these things, I lost everything. Mm. That's the reality of my life. I lost my, you know, family. I lost my kids. I lost my money. I lost my reputation. I lost my strength. And I lost everything. Even the churches that I started in Iran, everything, every Mm. connection, everything that we need to build any ministry with. So... But I'm sure this is not the end of story. You know, I, I know one of my closest friends, he's a famous pastor. He told me, say, just you're finished, done. Just stop preaching the gospel and go find a job in the fast food and just live a life. Mm. But when I prayed, Holy Spirit told me, this is not my voice. This is exactly from Satan. I don't care who is telling you. I don't care if he is the most respectful person in the world. I don't care. I called you by your name hmm. 17 years ago by all your mistakes, by all your sins, by all your weakness. I called you by your name. All you need is just to keep faith and step in the grace road and just be ready for me to hear my voice and just 
do what I ask you to do. So the reality is, you know, when you go to the mission field, let me tell you this and finish with, with this story. That was the first week when I came became Christian. I went to the small gathering, like six, seven people. And I was it was so new for me, you know, like Christian, they gather in a place. It was the first experience. So because of that, that memory is so still so fresh in my mind after going like a thousand times to kind of these Bible stories and gatherings. And the 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 Bible study leader said a story about the man of God. Who is the man of God? And he started with like some people in the world, they think man of God is the guy that he's in a suit, very nice on the stage behind, you know, uh, just behind a microphone. And when he talks, everyone claps and lights on him, cameras. He's so famous. God shows his blessing. But this is not really the man of God. I think man of God is a person when he comes to the, you know, to the pray, hardly he can draw himself to come to pray. He's so injured. He's so in damage. He's like a person. He comes back from like a huge war because that's the proof that he was really fighting for God because this world doesn't belong to the Christian. This world belongs to Satan. So if you want to just do something for God's kingdom, you're going to get attacked and you need to fight back. And when you fight back, you're going to be injured. You're going to be hurt. You're going to, they're going to make you dirty. So like it's going to be like a man of God. It's going to be like a person when he comes back to the prey time. He's like a soldier is coming back from like a hard war. So you need to choose which one you want to be. The guy with the suit on the camera, like a showman, or the guy that when comes back every time, it's like a soldier from escaping from captivity. You know, like in movies, you know, you see that just dirt everywhere. They are so thirsty, so thin. So that day I remember I said to God, I want to be the second one. I don't want to just run for nothing. You know, this world is going to be finished after 10, 20, 50 years. I just keep focused on eternal life. That's what all I want. I don't care if people, they clap for me or not. I don't care if I became famous or not. I don't care even if people, uh, you know, recognize me as a man of God or not. What I care is I want to finish my race well. And sometimes when you do that, people, they don't like it. So... This is like a swimming against the river, you know. So maybe me, you, or some people that are listening to us, they have in the same situation. They need to do something against the culture. They need to do something that their friends, they don't believe it. It's right. Or their country doesn't believe it's right. Like the success spirit that I said is a common culture right now. We need to fight back. Mm-hmm. You, if you want to be always successful, then you're going to start killing people that they're going to sacrifice. So you're going to go to the team that is enemy. Sometimes you need to give people chance. Sometimes you need to give people opportunity. Sometimes you need to sacrifice your own life for other people to be saved. That's the, that's the Christianity. That's what Jesus said, carry your cross. Are you ready to carry your cross? Hmm. Pastor Saeed, man, you've uh, this last hour you have brought me closer to Jesus just in your testimony and, and God's faithfulness throughout your life. That. Yeah, uh, it has brought me closer to Jesus. I am more in awe of our God and His goodness and His power and His faithfulness. I'm reminded through your story that uh, this is such a short life that we live and that it's not our own. And when we choose to follow Jesus, we choose to lay down our life. Uh, even quite literally, uh, lay down our life for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of serving others the way that Jesus served. Uh, And so, man, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and to point all of us back to Jesus and the reality that there's a that there's an eternity waiting for us and that that we should be living every choice and decision should be for the eternity, not for the here and now. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. You're welcome. I just keep finish with that. You know, you don't need to focus on your weakness, your sin, and what you did before. 
all we need to focus is what Jesus did for us. Then we can go to the next level. Then we can be useful for kingdom of God. So we all, all we need to do is just draw ourselves behind his step and just go to the next step. Forget the past, looking on what he did in the past for us. Mm. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Take care.